Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in your name in this place, either in person or virtually. Um, your word tells us that we are, you made us to worship you. And so when we get to do this, uh, we actually do the very thing that you created us to do. We thank you that we have the opportunity to do it freely, which is not the case for everyone in the world. God, we pray now that as we turn to your word, that you would quiet and calm our hearts as uh, we head into a new year, carrying in the baggage of the old year and the cares and concerns, distractions, frustrations, hopes and dreams. I ask God that just for a few moments this morning, uh, you would calm and quiet our hearts, our souls before you, that you might speak to us. We need your presence more than we need anything else. So I ask that you would fill this room I pray that you would do what only you can do. I pray that you would open eyes, open ears, open hearts to receive what it is that you have for us this morning. We love you and we want to love you more. Please help us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated. Once again, good morning and happy new year. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, pretty cool that we get to come to church on the second day of the year. And what that means, if anyone has been looking ahead, is that next year, New Year's Day will be on a Sunday. So I was kind of thinking, maybe we could do a watch night service. And then, and then since we got to be right back here first thing in the morning, let's just make it a lock-in and spend all night together. Think, think about it. Uh, I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 22. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 to 16 from Acts chapter 22. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have it uh, in front of you. Here's what it says. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense. This is the Apostle Paul, sorry. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, that's Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told, that, told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, 
receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 30,000 miles. 30,000 miles a year. I spent a number of years working in the uh, investment and finance industry. And I had several different roles at the company that I worked for. Uh, But the last one, the one I did for the longest, uh, and the one that was kind of the biggest responsibility was as an outside consultant or outside salesperson. The way that that worked is I had a territory, which was basically the northern half of the state of Ohio, which just happens to be the heart of it all. So that was a pretty great place to be. A few, few chuckles. I'm from Ohio. Uh, and I spent all of my time meeting with investment managers, portfolio managers, financial advisors, trying to get them to use the investment products that my company created in their portfolios. What that means is every year, on average, I put 30,000 miles on my car. I just made a triangle from Cleveland to Toledo to Columbus to Cleveland to Toledo to Columbus to Cleveland, sometimes to Youngstown, only when I had to, back to Cleveland, Toledo, Columbus. I knew every pothole. I knew every speed trap. I knew every Panera. And I knew, I knew the cleanest gas station restroom in every county in Northern Ohio. That job uh, came with a lot of autonomy. I worked out of my house, my home office was in Chicago. Uh, I spent virtually all my time on the road. I was really running my own little business inside the umbrella of the larger company that I worked for. And because of that, I had all kinds of freedom to do what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it, when I wanted to do it. The sales managers at the company I worked for knew that, and my manager in particular uh, drove into my head over and over and over again, not just mine, but all of my peers in that role, uh, this. He told us all the time, do not fall into the temptation of the milk run. Do not fall into the temptation of the milk run. Now, what does that mean? That is an allusion to the days of yore. Back in the, uh, the whenever, I don't know when it was, back in the olden days, when there was a milk person, probably usually a milkman, possibly a milkwoman, and, and if you know what their job was, the milkman's job was what? Every day he did the same route. He brought bottles full of milk, dropped them off at people's houses, and took the empty bottles back with him. Every day, he went to the same place and did the same thing over and over and over again. And in a job, an outside sales job, where you're trying to do six to eight meetings a day, four to five days a week, you're trying to follow up on all those meetings afterwards, you're trying to schedule new meetings to keep your calendar full, and you're trying to do the thousand other things that that job requires of you, what it was really easy to do was to just start to run a milk run. Just start going to the same places, see the same people over and over and over again. Now, the thing about that job and the thing about the company that I worked for is that they were not hoping that I would just simply maintain what was going on in my territory. For all of us in the for-profit sector, you know how this works. The idea is not to keep it the same, but what? 
to grow, to, to grow sales, to grow market share, to grow revenue. And I wasn't going to grow anything if I just kept doing the same thing with the same people in the same way over and over and over again. Now, here's what I'm getting at. A lot of us have the temptation to do a milk run in our lives. We love, we are creatures of routine and habit. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that that's something that, that's wrong. But we love comfort, convenience, security, and predictability. Just look at the statistics related to New Year's resolutions. It's that time of year. I looked them up this week. Depending on the survey you check, the average, no, not the average, the majority of New Year's resolutions have died by somewhere between January 12th and February 1st. <laughs> How's that working out for you? Why? Because we like the milk run, right? We like, to, we, we, we like habits. We like to just keep doing the same thing. It's easy and it's comfortable and predictable and it's hard for us to make changes. But here's what I want to do today. I want to give us the space in just the few minutes that we have together this morning to try as best we can to just take an inventory of our lives. We live in a place, the Bay Area, that does not give us a lot of space to breathe, does not give us a lot of room for reflection or to pause. And so my hope this morning is that together, it's not going to happen, you know, in the next 25 minutes in total, but my hope is that we can start the process today as we turn the calendar to a new year to just briefly look at, think about, and take an inventory of our lives, what they look like, and where they are at. And here's the deal. I know a lot of you have been coming here for a while. I know a lot of you have gotten to know me a little bit uh, through my preaching here week after week, or hopefully outside of my preaching here week after week. Here's what you know about me. And if you don't know about me, I'm telling you right now. I am not a big motivation guy. I am not, a, I'm not great. I'm not really gifted at like casting big vision and big rah-rah. And, and this is not going to be make 2022 the best year of your life. I wish, I wish I had that kind of stuff. I just, it doesn't come naturally to me. But I do believe as we turn the calendar on a new year, this is a, this is a great opportunity in each of our lives to pause, take a moment, look at what life looks like and ask the question, might God be calling me to make any changes? Might God be calling me to make any changes to the milk run of my life? Because this is going to start to sound, and I don't want it to. I told the worship team before the service, if this starts sounding like a New Year's resolution message, start giving me thumbs down from the, from the audience. I do not want this to be a New Year's resolution message. I want this to be rooted in God's word and in God's scriptures because I believe what we're going to talk about today is at the heart of who God is. God is a God of new beginnings. And sometimes we just need to pause and ask him, do you have something else for me, God? As we're going to get to, I'm getting ahead a little bit of myself, as we're going to talk about later. The answer may be no, and if it is, that's great. But God is a God of new beginnings, and I just want to spend a few minutes encouraging you and reminding you of a few things that relate to that as we're looking through his word, okay? We're going to do so by looking at uh, Paul's story of his conversion in Acts chapter 22. Now, what we need to know about this is in the book of Acts, Luke gives us three different accounts of Paul's conversion to following Jesus Christ. That means it's important. 
Anytime you're reading the Bible and something gets repeated over and over again, that is a good sign that it is important. It was important for the message that Luke was trying to communicate through the book of Acts, but it is also important for us to recognize what it teaches us about who God is and what he does in each of our lives. And the, 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 the main idea of this passage, if you get nothing else out of it, is that God is a God of new beginnings. But before that, I just want to look at a couple other things that we draw out of this passage in Acts chapter 2, Paul's story of his conversion to Christ. And the first is this. It's a warning. We can be really successful at the wrong things. We can be really successful at the wrong things. Now, the greater context for what's going on in this passage is not super important for the message I'm preaching today, but, but the really quick summary is this. Paul has returned to Jerusalem from his missionary journeys. He's brought some friends with him. People know who he is. They're not happy about what he's doing. He's gone to the temple. He gets accused of bringing a, a non-Jewish person into the temple, which they weren't allowed to do, and a mob, a frenzied mob, grabs Paul. They're gonna destroy him, and, uh, and some Roman soldiers intervene, and as Paul is being protected, by the soldiers. He's up on the steps and the crowd, the angry crowd is out there and Paul asks, can I address them? And the soldier says, yes, you can. And this is the story that he tells them. Starting in verse three, this is what he says. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. That doesn't mean a big deal. That doesn't mean a lot to us, but it was a big deal to them. Tarsus was a, was a big time city. To be from there meant something. We know that from other parts that Paul talks about it in the book of Acts. Then he says, but I was raised in Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel is known as one of, if not the most influential teachers of Pharisaic law in all of Jewish history. And Paul was his disciple. So Paul is basically like, I was born in an amazing city and I went to the Harvard of Pharisee schools. And I was so, so zealous right? Verse, uh, verse three, further on, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I was so zealous that after my Harvard education, I didn't just go into the academy and become a professor myself. I actually went out and started taking care of the people who were threatening the Jewish way of life. And not only did he go out and start taking care of, opposing, throwing in prison, murdering people who were opposed or who he thought were opposed to the Jewish way of life, he was rubbing elbows with the highest levels of Jewish religious culture at that time. He says later in verse 5, the high priest and the whole council of elders can confirm what I'm telling you today. He's like the president knows me and the senate knows me. Paul was having tremendous success. His life, by all accounts, in his cultural context, was a tremendous success. He was killing it, figuratively and literally. But then he's on the road to Damascus, and about noon, a bright line shines down on him, and he hears the voice of Jesus speaking to him in verse 7. What does Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, here's what we got to get out of this verse, and I think this is really instructive for how we understand what is happening in this story. I think a lot of us, especially a lot of us who've been in church for a long time, we think about Saul as like this, this murderous enemy of God, which he was. But recognize there are some people who go to bed at night and they're horrible people and they know they're horrible people, but they just can't get out of it and they can't stop doing it. There are other people who go to bed at night and they're horrible people and they don't recognize it. And that was Saul. Saul thought he was doing the right thing. 
He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. And then God shows up and says, Paul, Saul, you think that you are doing right by me? You're actually hurting me. How disorienting would that have been for Saul in this moment? He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do, and actually he was opposing God. He was being really successful, but he was really successful at the wrong thing. Uh, in my working days, uh, amongst my, my coworkers and peers, there was a phrase that got used a lot kind of as a justification and also as a motivation uh, to kind of support what really ended up being a very uh, workaholic culture, and that was this. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing this to provide for my family. And the great irony of that is, is there were a bunch of men and women that I worked with who claimed that they were doing what they were doing for their family, and their families were in tatters. Because to support my family, to give my family a certain lifestyle, can we just call it what it is? It was just code language for, I'm getting mine. And as long as I bring home the bacon, I'm fulfilling my end of the responsibility. They were being really successful. They were killing it at work. But in the weightier things, the heavier things, they were failing. And one of the great challenges for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ is discerning between what God calls success and what the world calls success. Because when we really dig into it, those two things are really kind of diametrically opposed. The problem is what the world calls success has just kind of crept in and crept in to our lives and to our homes and even into our churches. We can be successful in all the wrong areas. Listen to me if you get, well, if you get nothing else out of this message this morning. What the world calls success is not what God calls success. The promotions, bonuses, houses, cars, watches, vacations, making the team, getting the degree, whatever it is, those do not mean success in God's eyes. Faithfulness is success in God's eyes. And you can be faithful living in Los Altos or wherever else. You can be faithful in the corner office or in the basement. You can be faithful at work, at home, at school, at play. You can be a great success in God's eyes regardless of what your life circumstances are. So the question I want to ask is this. What gets your best? What gets your best? What gets your best hours? What gets your best creativity? What gets your best effort? And it doesn't have to be work. We, we love to give our best to our hobbies. There are so many of us who spend more time on our golf game or on our fitness or on video games than we do reading God's word, praying, dating our spouse, loving and discipling our children or serving others. The great temptation and danger, especially in a place like the Bay Area, is to be confused about what the world calls success and what God calls success. And just like Paul, we can find ourselves being successful at the wrong things. We got one shot at this life. And my prayer for me and all of us is that we do not get to the end and look back with a pit in our stomach, realizing we spent our best on the things that really didn't matter.
That's the first thing. We can be successful at the wrong things. Here's the second thing. Take this as an encouragement. God has a special calling on your life. God has a special calling on your life. So as we continue moving through this passage, this Paul's um, accounting of his conversion to Christianity, uh, he's on the road to Damascus. He's, he's doing his own milk run, right? And, and, and it's noon, this, a blazing sun, a blazing light, not the sun, a blazing light out of the sky shines down. It blinds Paul. He hears the voice of Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Then skip down with me to verse 10 and look at what Jesus says to him. Rise and go into Damascus and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. That word appointed in other translations is translated as designated. It means an assignment or an order. Jesus is saying to Paul, you have a special calling on your life. I have an assignment for you. I have orders for you. And this is what I love about it. Skip with me back up uh, to verse nine. It says, now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand. What is that saying? Paul, Saul, same guy. He had a special calling on his life. He was with other people on the road to Damascus, but they couldn't understand what was being said. Why? Because the call wasn't for them. Because it was a special calling for Paul. They may have had their own vision of Jesus sometime later that we didn't hear about. Maybe not. We don't know. They may have had a special calling on their life as well. But the calling on Paul's life was not the calling that was on theirs. And I believe that is true for anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ. God has a special appointment for you. God has a, a special calling on your life. He has created you and made you uniquely and put you in unique circumstances because he has something just for you to do in that place. God has a special calling on your life. One of the great uh, pastors and theologians of the last century was a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he, was, he was a German and kind of came of age in the 1920s and 1930s in Germany. Don't have time to go through his whole story, which is just a rather remarkable story, but he spent time here in the United States after he got his PhD at the age of 21 as a, as a professor uh, and, and researcher uh, at a seminary in New York, went back to Germany. Because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he was very active in vocally criticizing the Nazi party and also the German church, which was just kind of going along with what the Nazis were putting forth. Uh, he was also a pacifist. In, uh, sometime in 1939, which is the year that World War II started, uh, he received an inside tip from his brother-in-law that war was imminent. Because he was a pacifist and really didn't want to be constricted into the army, because he was known as, as being against the Nazi party and what they were doing, uh, he looked to get out of Germany and was offered another opportunity to come over to the United States and teach again. And so he took it. In June of 1939, Dietrich Bonhoeffer came back to the United States. But he only lasted two weeks before he went back to Germany. He wrote to a mentor, and I'm paraphrasing this. He wrote to a mentor before he went back to Germany that he said, uh, if I have any hope of helping rebuild the Christian life in Germany after the war, I must participate in the trials and the suffering of my people during the war. It ended up costing him his life. He was put in prison and then killed eventually by the Nazis. And before he went back in that two-week period, his friends, people close to him were like, please don't go. Why would you do this? 
Don't, 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 don't do that. Don't go back. It's going to be dangerous. And it ended up being really dangerous for him. But he had a special call on his life. And that call was for him. And it wasn't for the people around him. And so sometimes God may be asking you to do something and the people around you are like, you're crazy. And you're just going to have to be like, well, I might be, but God is calling me to do this. And I must follow that call because you have a special calling on your life. So what is that calling? What is that calling? I think some of us might be sitting here this morning, might be watching online and be able to say, I have a very clear idea of what it is I believe that God is calling me to and and what he wants me to do with my life. And if that is you, awesome. That is fantastic. Run with it. But I suspect that there might be one or two or a few more people here this morning or watching online who are sitting here being like, I have no idea what God's calling is for me. I have no idea what special thing he has for me, what he wants me to do. Uh, And if that is you, here's going to be some of the just deepest most insightful pastoral preaching moment I can give you. Ask him. (laughs) If you're not sure what God's call in your life is, ask him. Because that's what Paul does in the text, and it might be my favorite part of the whole passage. Look back at verse 10. Jesus is talking to him. He's blinded. He's saying, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then what does Saul say? What shall I do, Lord? For a lot of us, I think a great way to start 2022 would to just get quiet, be, to get quiet for a few moments and say, what shall I do, Lord? And if he's who he says he is, if he's the king of kings, Lord of lords, God of the universe, if he created you and me and everything in it, if he has a special calling on your life, which I believe he does because I'm telling you that he does, I believe that he will answer that question. It may not be a blinding light on the road one day, and an audible voice from heaven. That would be amazing if it was. But in some way, in some shape, in some form, I believe if you ask God, what do you want me to do? He'll make that clear. And I think, I think for some of us, the answer to that question will be, I want you to stay right where you're at. And that might be encouraging or it might be discouraging. But I think a lot of us will find that God is saying to us, I have got you right where I want you to be. And you're doing exactly what it is that I have for you. And if that is you, praise him for it. The last thing I want you to get out of this message is that God is calling everyone in this room or watching online to leave your life and go into full-time ministry. That's just, it's just not true. It's not the way it works. You can be a faithful, successful follower of Jesus Christ as a software engineer, as a teacher, as a student, as a stay-at-home mom or as a stay-at-home dad. For a lot of us, I think God's answer to what shall I do is I got you right where I want you. Keep doing what you're doing. But for some of us, when we ask God, what shall I do, Lord? There may be an answer like Saul, I have something different for you. And so the last thing I want us to see in this text is that God is a God of new beginnings. God is a God of new beginnings. It is never too late to change. It is never too late to start when it comes to God. That is the whole point of this text. God is a God of new beginnings. So Paul uh, goes to, he obeys, he goes to Damascus. This man named Ananias, who we know is a godly man, 
comes to Paul and he says in verse 13, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight. Now we gotta recognize that is both a physical receiving of sight and a spiritual receiving of sight. Ananias helped Saul understand what God's calling was on his life. So for some of us, we may need to be in community with some other godly people who can help us decipher, help us work through what it is that God might be calling us to. Verse 14, Ananias tells Paul, Saul, the God of our fathers appointed you, there it is again, special calling, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Saul, the one who was persecuting God, persecuting his church, throwing his followers in prison and having them killed, is now going to be the one who takes the message, the salvation message of Jesus Christ to people who have not heard it. It is a new beginning. And if he can do it for Saul, he can do it for you, and he can do it for me. And I love verse 16, the last thing Ananias says to him. And now, why do you wait? What's he saying? What are you waiting for? Like, get going. You know what the, you know what the deal is. You got the, you, you got the orders. Like, stop sitting around. Stop waiting for something else. Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. God is a God of new beginnings. <laughs> when I was growing up uh, in my house, my mom had a, th a thing hung on the wall. And if I read it once, I read it 10,000 times. And it will stay with me. Uh, it will stay with me until the day that I die. It said, uh, oh God, of second chances and new beginnings, here I am again. Oh God, of second chances and new beginnings, here I am again. God is a God of new beginnings. And if you are sitting here today, watching online today, and you feel like life has become a milk run, same things, same places, same people, that may be what God has for you. I'm not even saying that that's wrong in and of itself. But if there is a stirring in your soul that perhaps God has something else out there for you, run to him. What a way to start 2022 by standing in front of God and saying, oh God of second chances and new beginnings, here I am again, what shall I do? Some of us, God may call to big changes in 2022. It may be a new job, a new career. It may be to live in a new place, a new relationship, end a relationship. It might be to go back to school. It might be a major life change. But God also might call some of us in 2022 to some small changes that feel like they're not that big of a deal, but actually can make enormous impact in our lives and the lives of those around us. 2022 might be the year that God calls you to each day, set aside your phone, turn off the TV, open up your Bible, read from it, and spend some time in prayer with him. And actually, I can play the role of Ananias right now. That's not a maybe. God is calling you to that this year. So if that's, if that's not part of your deal, like that God is calling you to that, there, there, there might be nothing more transformative in your life than to become a regular student of God's word and regularly speak back to him. 
Uh, we did it last year. We've done it again this year. On our website, we have Bible reading plans that we have uploaded. We've got a 30-day plan, a 90-day plan, and two all-year plans. So if you are looking for some structure to how that might look, you can go on our website. We'll send out the link in our weekly email, alcf.net forward slash read, backslash forward slash one of those. Uh, we have Bible reading plans on our website. It might be other small changes. Look, this might be the year that God calls you once or twice a week to shut work down at 5.30 and have dinner together as a family. Could transform the culture of your home. This might be the year that God calls you to date your husband or to date your wife rather than just coexist. This might be the year that God calls you to date your children to set aside time specifically, to spend one-on-one concentrated time with them. This might be the year that God calls you to cancel Netflix because you are actually spending more time with it than you are with him. I don't know. I don't know what it is that God is calling you to this year. You and he are gonna have to figure that out, maybe with the help of some godly people around you. But what I do know, because it is, the, it is the story of Paul and he gives it to us three times in the book of Acts, is that God is a God of new beginnings. There is no change too great for him and there is no life that is too late to make that change. God is a God of new beginnings and maybe we'll just lean into that as we start 2022 together. Uh, I hope, I hope that 2022 is the best year ever. I hope that it is, I hope that it is the year that the promotions come and the bonuses come and the relationships come and maybe you get the house finally and the vacations and I hope it's the year that COVID dies a quick and, and just a brutal death. But even if none of those things happen, 2022 can still be the best year ever because God is, not, God is not calling us to any of those things. He is calling us to himself. And if we know God and are known by God and if we are walking with him, if we are, if we are operating under his understanding of what success is, then 2022 can almost guarantee to be the best year ever. In Revelation 21.5, Jesus says something else. Well, uh, John, looking at the throne, sees Jesus, and he says, behold, I am making all things new. He is a God of new beginnings. And the greatest new beginning, the greatest, the greatest all things new that he can do in your life is to take you from death to life. So if you're here this morning, and you don't, or you're watching online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, know that he is a God of new beginnings, that no change is too great for him, no life is too far away from him, and it is never too late to come to him. It is possible to be successful at the wrong things. God has a special calling on your life, and he is a God of new beginnings. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the promise of a new year. Uh, in some ways, it's kind of arbitrary. Just the, the calendar, the, the last number on the date on the calendar has changed. The, the weather is still the same. It's still cold. We still live in the same place. We're still doing the same things. But, but there is a hope and there is a, there's an expectation as we enter into a new year, God. And I pray, 
I pray that this would be the best year ever for us as individuals and for our church. Not because we reach necessarily any targets or goals or, or, uh, or worldly measures of success or achievement, but because we know you and we're known by you and we walk with you. And regardless of what this year brings, the ups, the downs, the mediocre, we can live the overcoming life because we know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and we have been adopted as his sons and daughters. May we run hard after you this year, God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're now gonna uh, transition into our time of communion. And so uh, I just wanna frame it by saying this. Uh, the Bible is clear that it's the celebration of communion, the celebration of the Lord's Supper is reserved for those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, this is not intentional, but setting the mood, so all good. Um, if, if that's you, if you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I would just invite you to pass on taking the bread and the cup with us this morning. But if that's you, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There is no better time, there is no better moment than today for salvation. I would love to talk to you about what it means to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Uh, we're gonna have just a few moments of uh, quiet music and a time of reflection. Uh, you may wanna start opening up the elements because they can be a little bit tricky. And after a few moments of quiet reflection, uh, I will lead us in the Lord's table. Please stand. When we celebrate communion, we memorialize the fact that Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless lamb, the son of God died on a cross in our place, paying the penalty that we could never have paid, satisfying the debt that our sins had racked up before God. And in doing so, transferred from us our sin and transferred onto us his righteousness. Take the bread and hear these words from scripture. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me take and eat. Please take the cup. 
In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You're loved and you're prayed for and you're sent.